So technology has really uh, changed the way we communicate. Uh, if you remember back in the day, like pre, even, you know, pre-cell phones, the cell phone era, but even the pre, like, caller ID era, right? When, even before, because I remember when caller ID first came out, and it was like, oh, wow, you could see the number of the person who's calling you even before you pick up the phone. That alone was pretty novel. Like, that was pretty cool, the idea of that happening. But remember, if you think about before that, when the phone rang, like, you had to pick it up. You know, and sometimes you would run to pick up the phone. You know, how often do you do that now? Like, never, right? Because you just get a missed call. Who cares? You can call them back. You can text them. Whatever. But back in the day when the phone rang, like, you had to, you had to, you know, you had to go pick it up because it could be, yeah, it could be like a telemarketer, but it could be your mom. You know, it could be an emergency. It could be your best friend. It could be the girl you had a crush on, right? Like, you never knew who it was. I could have been the president. Could have been Publishers Clearinghouse. You know, you guys remember what that was even? Like they give it they just gave out a million dollars to people. It's like it could have been that. You didn't know who it was. So you had to pick it up. And then you had to have a conversation with them. Like if it was your friend, maybe it wasn't your friend, maybe it was a person that you didn't like, you know, from school who kind of annoyed you, but then you had to have a conversation with them. You simply because you simply had no way of knowing. Now, obviously now. Uh, we don't have that problem. I rarely pick up the phone. And in fact, if if I sus- I mean, if it's someone I know, obviously I'll pick it up. But if it's someone I don't know, particularly if I suspect that it's like a telemarketer or robocall or something, not only do I not have to pick up the phone, I can send them to, you know, I can screen their call. Google allows me to screen their call and send them to an automated, you know, robot, basically, that answers the call for me. So I don't even have to deal with that anymore. And that's kind of how we like it. You know, uh, they say text communication is, or I I should say face-to-face communication is about 34 times more effective than uh, text communication. Right? And yet, we prefer text communication, right? Like you prefer to text someone because it's kind of the illusion of two-way communication, but it's not really. It's just a lot of one-way communication because when you send something, not only does the person, you know, that you're sending it to, they're not able to respond in real time. Like they don't, like when I'm talking, you're, you're hearing the words as they're coming out. You know, a, a text isn't like that, right? Or a social media or however else we communicate. And we kind of like it to be that way, where I can say whatever I want to say. And it causes, I think, a society that's missing each other a lot of times. Right? We kind of talk past each other and we talk over each other. Have you ever had that kind of thing You know, you're texting someone, they're not really getting what you're saying, you're not really understanding what they're saying, or it's taking hours between, you know, each communication. We like that, you know? We like it to be at our convenience. Now, this in part, this pattern of communication that we have become accustomed to has made it really difficult to pray. Right? Because prayer 
doesn't work well when we're accustomed to like texting or emailing. Just sending one complete thought and then not having to think about it, not having to deal with some of the back and forth. We don't love to communicate with one another. I mean, I shouldn't say we don't love it, but it's difficult to clearly communicate with one another. And you can imagine how much more difficult it is to clearly communicate with God. Now, we're in a series called um, Give, Pray, Love. Uh, It's our Lent series. And we are using the Lenten season this year as a church as an opportunity to adopt and step into these kind of essential practices of Christian discipleship. Right? Uh, We've talked, you know, the past couple weeks about the treasure that is Christ and really the, the center of how do we give anything? How do we do anything well, it comes from this notion that we have been given so much, that we've received so much in Christ, or that we have such a treasure in Christ, that that is something that we have to give, that we want to share with the world. And last week we talked about giving specifically, you know, generosity, financial giving, and how these things work in light of what we have received in the gospel. And today we're going to talk about uh, prayer. We're going to talk about why prayer is, well, what prayer looks like and why it is crucially important for us to adopt a a regular prayer life, like a consistent, persistent, growing prayer life. You know, we'll talk a little bit about what that looks like. And um, just kind of three things for you to track through the message today, just so you can kind of keep track. Um, So we're going to talk about the pattern of prayer. Uh, the power of prayer, and the promise of prayer. Okay, so three Ps, the pattern of prayer, the, the, the pattern of prayer, the power of prayer, and the promise of prayer. Uh, that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, uh, we're going to start in verse 1. Luke 11, 1. And, uh, you know, we'll read all the way through verse 13 today, but we'll take it uh, piece by piece. This is Luke 11:1. 1. This is God's word, and it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, this is obviously the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it's, you know, one of the versions of the Lord's Prayer that we find in the Gospels. This is the, you know, Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer. And what happens here in this story, and I, I'm actually going to be kind of brief here. I could do a, you know, we could do a whole message. In fact, we could do a whole series of messages covering the Lord's Prayer, but I'm going to keep it kind of brief here, just talking about the pattern of prayer. So his disciples actually asked Jesus. He's praying on his own. He comes back. You know, the disciples wait for him to finish. They ask him, hey, you know, what, how do we pray? Like, teach us how to pray. So that's, that is where the Lord's Prayer comes from. Right? It is Jesus teaching his disciples the pattern of prayer. So he says, when you pray, 
Now, just a couple initial observations about this. Okay, one is Jesus assumes that they will pray. Nowhere actually in the Bible does it say, if you pray. Because it is, it is always assumed that you will pray. Because if you know God, you must pray. You know, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But, but that's one initial observation. It is assumed that you will pray. And that's why it's when you pray. Right? And secondly, this is not so much what exactly to pray as it is just kind of a model for prayer. Right? So there is no magic in saying the Lord's Prayer. Right? We say the Lord's Prayer. And if you do say the Lord's Prayer, you know, regularly or as a part, you know, some churches, they'll do it as part of their service. You know, we do it at home, you know, with the kids every night just to kind of teach them the model of prayer. And it's just so you understand the themes of prayer, not what exactly to pray. You know, sometimes in like movies, you know, they just, they portray the Lord's Prayer as this like, I don't know why, but it's like always action movies, you know, and they're like, there's some assassin or something. And for some reason, before he kills someone, he's saying the Lord's Prayer. Like, I don't know why, but he'll just start saying the Lord's Prayer or they're about to die. And then people start saying the Lord's Prayer. Like, there's nothing magical about the Lord's Prayer in that sense. Right? It's just teaching us the themes of prayer. So what is it? Um, and I'll put it very succinctly this way. Um, there are a couple ways you could, you could do it, but I'll just say these four A's kind of cover the themes of the Lord's Prayer. One is to adore him. Right? There is an address, Father. That is the intimate part. But then it also says, you know, hallowed be your name, which just is kind of like holy is your name or sanctify your name. And it is both the intimacy that we have with God as Father and the fact that he's holy contained there, right? So we adore him. The second thing is we align our hearts to him. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done, right? And so that's just, hey, we want to, God, I just want to acknowledge that you're in charge, you're God, you're Father, and I like, help me to be able to follow you. Now, obviously, the content of that prayer can be a lot of things because it can apply to, like, your family life or your relationships or your job, you know, all these kind of different arenas that you're in. But that is the big theme. Like, help me, God, to align my heart to yours. Right? The third thing is to admit. Admit our need. Right? Give us bread. Forgive us our debts. You know, forgive us our sins. The fact that I need forgiveness, that is a, a form of confession, right? It is to say that I'm not perfect, I do wrong, and even to specifically, you can, you know, confess sin, right? Say, like, these are the things I've done wrong, or I did this. Like, God, please forgive me for that. Heal me for that. Now, this is one interesting thing about this, though, is that it also says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And we find that in every form of the Lord's Prayer. It is this idea that, God, forgive me as I forgive other people. And the inverse of that would be, God, if I don't forgive other people, don't forgive me. You know, so that's an interesting component. That's something that we are supposed to pray, in fact. Right? Something we are supposed to ask God for. Like, so, God, if I don't forgive people, don't forgive me. Like, forgive me on the same level that I am able to forgive the people around me. Now, that's just an interesting thing, a qualifier that is there in asking for forgiveness. Obviously, give us daily bread, just like asking God for, for, for the things you need, 
you know, to survive, right? And then finally, um, you know, so to adore, to align our hearts to his, to admit our need, and then finally just to ask for help, and that could be a lot of things. I would say a bread is also included in that, but also the help to resist temptation, right? Don't lead us into temptation. Help us to, that just means don't let me fall into temptation, God. Like, give me strength to fight temptation. So that is the pattern of prayer to adore, to align, to admit, to ask. That's the pattern that he lays out. He says, this is, this is the way you should pray. It doesn't mean that every single time you pray, like don't get too religious about it, right? It doesn't mean every single time you pray, you have to pray exactly this way. Like, Father, hallowed, you know, are, are thee. You know, like you don't have to do stuff like that. But it's good to remember these themes because it gives you structure in prayer. And I don't know if you've ever done this. Well, I'm sure you've done this if you've ever prayed. I, I did this like the other day. I was praying and I was praying about something and I just lost track of what I was praying about because I kind of like to walk around when I pray. So I'm just like walking around, you know, praying in my living room and I just start like looking at stuff, right? And I like looked over at the guitar and then I just started thinking about some song, you know, and some song got stuck in my head and then I just totally forgot what I was praying about. I just walked around and said nothing for like two minutes while the song was just running in my head. And then I was like, what was I praying about again? And I had to like refocus. So when you kind of just have no structure in prayer, Sometimes that's what happens. In fact, often that's what happens. You just kind of don't know what to say. Now, this gives you some structure, and there's a time for that kind of free prayer. But I think generally this is a good structure to follow. So if you are unsure about how to pray, right, this is a good way. This is a good model. This is how Jesus taught his own disciples to pray. Adore him, align our hearts, you know, ask God to align my heart to yours, admit that you have need, ask for help. It's a very basic, good, basic model to follow. Now, that's the pattern of prayer. Now, then Jesus proceeds to talk about how we should approach the idea of prayer itself. So not how to pray, but how to approach the idea of praying. Right? So he tells this story. He says, and he said to them, he's explaining more about prayer, right? He says, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now the power of prayer, I would simply say that God is presenting here is that Jesus is, is stating in this story is that there is power in persistent prayer. There is power in persistent prayer. Now, the story, for us to understand, we have to get a little bit into the culture, right? Hospitality was an important part of Jewish culture or ancient Palestinian culture in the first century, you know, in first century Palestine. Obviously, there's no, there are no evening shops, you know, so it's, it's nighttime. They don't have electricity, right? And so it's not like there's, there's no convenience store. You know, there's no like 7-Eleven, you know, 24-hour Walmart. There's nothing like that. So this guy, somebody comes on a journey. Hospitality is a big part of 
of culture, Jewish culture in particular. And so if somebody comes on a journey, it's your duty to serve them and to help them. Three loaves, in fact, would be kind of the amount. That would be like the minimum amount that you could do. And so this guy has nothing. Somebody comes to his house in the middle of the night, asks him for help. He doesn't have anything, goes to the neighbor. Now, for us to understand this too, like think about if, an, if somebody came to your house, your neighbor came to your house in the middle of the night, you'd be probably annoyed. You know, you'd be like, oh gosh. And this is our, this is in our time. You got a phone, you got electricity, you probably got a, a camera on your doorbell. Like you got things, there are mechanisms for you to be able to like talk to that person even without having to go through all this trouble, right? For them back then, to unlock the door was to remove like either a big wooden thing, like a big wooden plank or an iron rod that goes through these, you know, like, like you got to do this big thing. And it's not like the doors open just like smoothly on hinges either, right? They're like these big wooden doors on top of the fact that this guy's saying, I'd have to get out of bed. And, and in this time, you'd sleep all in one bed on a mat. He says, I'm in bed with my kids, right? Because that's how you would, that's how you would be. You'd just be on one mat. By the way, probably not the exact firmness he wants, you know? Linen's probably, the thread count, I don't even want to talk about it, it's probably not good. And no central air, and you know, no, nothing, no humidifier, no white noise, right? Like nothing. Imagine for you, like imagine this guy's young kids. He's in bed with all his family, and somebody comes banging on the door and is like, hey, come, come, come give me some bread, right? Because I have a visitor from out of town. Now that's, that's the, the picture that's painted, and what Jesus says is, the guy's not going to get out because he's, he's not going to give him the bread because he's his friend. That's what he says. That alone is not going to be enough. But because of his impudence, right, which can also be translated persistence, he will get out. It's almost, and the idea is more of like a shameless persistence, like a boldness. Like because this guy's just not going to go away. Like, so he's, he might not give it to him because he's his friend, but he'll give it to him just because he won't go away and he keeps asking. He'll go through all that trouble. He'll wake up his kids. He'll get out of bed. He'll undo the big door, you know, make all the noise, wake up his whole family. Again, no electricity, right? So you can't be like, Alexa, turn on the light. You got to be like lighting some candles and stuff. You know, find the bread, get the three breads, and like, you know, give them the loaves and be like, get out of here, right? Take this bread. And Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. Because if you ask, and only if you ask, you'll receive. The one who seeks is the one who finds. The one who knocks is the one to whom the door is open. And these are continuous verbs in the Greek, meaning you should start doing it, and you should never stop doing it. George Bernard Shaw said this, the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Think about that. The single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. I read that, and I was like, Man, that's so true. 
Because I see it in my own life and relationships. I see it when I talk to people. Because often when you get underneath a relational issue and you get to the most basic core of it and you just ask them, like, because you get upset about something, right? Like somebody offended me in some way and then you just ask them, did they know that you were offended? Like, did you tell them that? And almost all the time, the answer is no. Right? The answer is usually something like, they should have known. Like, they should have known I would be offended, or they should have known that that would offend me, or they should have known what I was feeling at that time without me having to communicate it. The single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Don't we treat our relationship with God the same way? That we just assume the communication has taken place? See, God designed prayer as a mechanism that moves him. Now, does God know what we need before we ask? Of course, and the Bible says as much. He does, know, he does know that already, so we don't have to pray these wordy things. He already knows what we need. But God has designed prayer. He has given it to us as a mechanism of faith by which he'll move if we do it. And he won't move if we don't do it. So that we could do it. So that we could have a way to move God. Not to coerce God, not to force God to do something, but so that we could have a way to step into faith, to say, God, I trust you in this way. My act of faith, my act of trust is to pray. I'm going to ask you for something. And if you step into that, that's the way God designed prayer. So that if you step into that, it moves him. And he actually answers it. He actually responds to it. It makes sense to me then that the greatest obstacle to answered prayer, the greatest obstacle to answered prayer is lack of asking. It's just simply that we don't ask enough. Who was, I think it was Wayne Gretzky, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. That was quoted by Michael Scott. Like, that's true, right? You can't, like, if you don't take the shot, you can't make it. If you don't ask God. Isn't that weird to think about, though? Because if you don't ask God, there's almost no mechanism for God to answer you. How does he answer something you never asked for? He can't. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks the door will be open. Now, there is a qualifier to this, which we'll see in this last part of the passage. Right? So let's look at verse 11. It says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What is the promise of prayer? The promise of prayer is that God is a good Father who only gives good gifts. The promise of prayer is that God is a good Father who only gives good gifts. Now, the point here is obvious, right? God promises to provide 
good gifts because he's a better father than we are. Right? So he's, he's saying, what father among you? So he's, he's, you know, talking to the people present, and he's saying, any of you fathers, you know, and any of you people, let's just say everyone present here, any of you, if you had a kid, if you have a kid, then you could think about your kid. If you don't have a kid, you could think about if you had a kid. If you had a kid, who among us would give him, you know, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Not like a cooked serpent, you know, if you like snake or something, but, you know, like a, a deadly animal, right? If he's like, hey, can I have a puppy? He's say, no, but here's a wild lion, you know, here, you tame this, right, and live with it. Like, you would never do that because you know that that's dangerous. If he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? No, of course not. And he says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now, now, I said, this is a qualifier to what was said before. When Jesus says, everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Right Now, here's the qualifier, though. God only gives good gifts. Now, you might think, okay, God, God needs the qualifier to keep himself from being abused by us. Right? Because if God just gave everything, everybody who asked for anything, if God gave it, then God would be being abused. Right? But the truth of the matter is, God cannot be abused. You can't abuse God. And the one in that scenario, if God gave you everything you ever asked for, he would not be abused. You would be abused. So the qualifier doesn't keep God from being abused. It keeps us from abusing ourselves by asking for stupid things and then receiving them. Things that will harm us. See, do you actually get the point of what he's saying? He's saying, if you ask, he's not only saying, if you ask for a fish, I'm not going to give you a scorpion. He's saying, if you ask for a scorpion, I'm not going to give it to you. If you ask for a serpent, I'm not going to give it to you. Because I'm a good father who gives good gifts. I'm a better father than any of you. So why would I give you a scorpion just because you really want it? Why would I give you a serpent just because that's what you persistently ask for? Now, what should we pray in light of that? Does it mean, okay, well, I have to have really the correct prayers? I would say no, right? Because God doesn't need protection from your prayers. You need protection from your prayers, and God's going to protect you. I'd say pray whatever you want. If you really ask God for a scorpion, like you'll never get it. But you'll get something. You'll, you'll get something better. Now, um, you know, like, when kids are born, there's this natural love that they have for their mothers. Right? Because obviously, you know, kids coming out of the mom, right? As soon as a kid's born, they just love mom. Right? No matter, I mean, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, they're just, they just love mom. They need mom. Right? And mom's usually the one, you know, feeding them and taking care of them and doing all this stuff, right? You know, like our, you know, our boys, especially with Micah, right? When, he, you know, when he was born, he was just like really close to mom all the time, right? And I, I remember, you know, for dads, it's a little different because especially when the kid's really small, you have no mechanism to like do anything with them. Like you can't help them. You can't really feed them. 
you know, we don't have the biological means to be able to do some of those things. So you're just kind of around. <laughs> you know, you're just kind of around, and you, like, try to do stuff, especially when the kid's really young, right? And I remember, um, you know, especially with Micah when, when Boomy first went back to work, and I had to start, you know, I'd give him the bottle, Right, and I remember the first day when I'm giving him the bottle. It was so hard because you know he didn't want to take it, right? And there would be it would be like hour long stretches where he wouldn't take the bottle. He'd cry, just cry for an hour straight, right? And I'm just like banging my head against the wall. I'm like, I cannot take this. I actually made up songs that I would like sing to myself to comfort myself, to try to comfort him, to try to comfort my like literally because I was just going crazy because it's very frustrating, right? You want to help this child. But the child doesn't want your help. Right? Like you're trying to feed the child what it needs to survive. And obviously I love this child. This is my own son. But he doesn't want my help. Right? So that's very frustrating. But here's what happens. Like over time, you, you, you kind of hang out enough, right? And then the kids get accustomed to you. Right? Slowly they go from trusting you like like trusting that you care for them to let you care for them to then asking you for help. Like slowly it transitions to that, right? Then, you know, Micah starts coming to me. It's happened with Josiah too, but he'll start coming to me, ask me for something. Like, oh, I need help with this, right? And then they slowly go from asking you to help to asking you to play with them. Right? It's like, oh, I want to play. Like, let's play. Now every day, you know, they test my back, you know, and that's why I have back problems all the time because they're always, like, jumping on my back and stepping on my back and punching my back and doing all these things. And then they go from asking you to play with them to asking you to teach them things. It's like, oh, can you help me with this? Like, I want to learn how to do this. I want to learn how to, like, dribble a basketball. Right? Like, teach me. And then, and my kids aren't here yet, but I know because I was a kid and I have a father that you go from asking your dad to teach you things to asking for advice. And then you go from asking for advice to just like a full-blown regular relationship. That didn't happen to me until I was like 27 or something like that, probably until I got married actually. And of course, I value my relationship with my father more than anything my father could give me at this point in my life. Now, there is a similar progression in prayer as it pertains to our relationship with God. When you start in faith, it's all about sin management. That's what faith is about. Right? It's all about, did I sin or not today? Right? Which grows into, did I sin or not this week? Which grows into, did I sin or not this month? You know, and all you're doing is just managing sin. It's kind of, and it, it coincides with, usually we're younger also, right? And we're less disciplined, right? Maybe you're, maybe you're in high school or maybe you're in college and you're doing things and you're drinking things and you're eating things, you know, and you're taking things and you're looking at things and there's all these kinds of things that you are involved in. Right? And when you first encounter Christ, and this makes complete sense because you have a total paradigm shift and you're like, okay, my life's supposed to be about something different now and all it is is about sin management. 
And then it slowly transitions into putting on good habits. You actually start, like, reading the Bible. You actually start, like, going to church regularly. You actually start, like, praying a little bit. But here's the thing. Once you get into the habit of spending time with God, you start to almost hit a wall, hit a wall of faith. And ironically, this wall of faith is created by contentment. It's contentment and margin in your life. Because once you get out of crisis, you're like, don't know what to do with yourself. Because <laughs> you're so used to just like managing sin. And once some of the sinful habits start to fall off, and you're not in the pattern of sin anymore, we all sin, of course, and we're going to still, you know, sin. But once that's not what governs your life, that's not kind of what defines you anymore. You don't have to think day to day, week to week about did I do this one thing or was I able to, you know, break out of it. Then you kind of are like, what do I do now? Because you're not living under fire. You become unsure of what the point of prayer is and really like the point of life. And for example, because this happens to us all the time, right, in conversation, um, when we're content, we don't think we have prayer requests. Do you ever do that? It's like when things are kind of good and somebody's like, hey, can I pray for you? And you're like, no, nah, because, you know, things are good, right? It's like things are good. There's nothing to pray about. Isn't that weird? Like, do you ever think about that? Isn't that weird? Like, like prayer is some kind of parachute or fire extinguisher. It only exists, like, in case of emergency. That's when you need prayer. And then when things are good and somebody's like, hey, what can I pray for you for? You're like, I don't know, nothing. You know, because I'm just enjoying my life. See, what happens is then this fallacy starts being created in your brain where you think, now the point of my life is just to have more contentment and more margin and just to be comfortable, to basically have as much fun as I can before I die. Because you're like kind of bored and lost. Now that place, if any of you feels like that kind of sounds like me a little bit, I'm very excited for you. Now you may think it doesn't sound very exciting, but I am very excited for you, even though it may not seem like it at first, because what your heart actually craves is the richness of the presence of God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's actually what you need. You don't need more margin and more contentment. You need a deep, a rich joy that comes from the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. See, because what he says here is, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you know why? Because that's the best gift. The best gift God could give is himself. His own presence actively working in your life. If you are consistent in the word and persistent in the practice of prayer, you grow confident in the promises of God. You start trusting him more. You actually want to just play with him. You actually just want to talk with him. And your prayer life stops being driven by what you fear to lose and it begins to be driven by what you hope to gain in Christ. And that's exciting. Because when all of the things that you fear to lose aren't what drive your prayer life, 
right? Like, oh, make me healthy, give me money, you know, give me a good job. Like, I don't want to be perceived as unsuccessful. I don't want to be perceived as like a failure. I don't want to be perceived as like a mean person or a bad person. When that fear goes away, and that's not what drives you. Look, we, we, and we'll still experience that fear. I'm not saying that will completely go away, but it will not drive you anymore. There will be something else driving you, and what will drive you is what you hope to see God do, whom you desire to see salvation in, where you desire to see justice working, what you hope to see moving in your ministry. And the simple, selfish enjoyment of spending time with your heavenly dad, God. And you start to pray with Romans 8, 31 through 32 etched on your heart. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about? What shall we say then? What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Isn't that a crazy verse? He who did not spare his own son? Imagine what you would pray for if you believed the God of the universe who has control over all things did not spare anything for you, even his own son. That he would not withhold from you any good gift, even his own son. Imagine if you prayed with the boldness and conviction that those words were true. What would keep you from enjoying the presence of a father who loved you that much? And if you truly believed that, is there anything you wouldn't ask for? The truth is, God does love you that much. God does love us that much, whether we realize it or not. He has proven it. That is an objective event that has already taken place. Jesus has already come. Jesus has already died on the cross. Jesus has already resurrected from the dead. And that was for you. Now, let me just close with some application, okay? Um, you know, we've been talking about our, this series is about Give, Pray, Love. Uh, I talked last week about giving 10% of your income. If that is within your conviction, if that is within your possibility, uh, I would encourage you to do that throughout Lent to kind of view God as your treasure, right? Also for the church to be able to uh, love people, particularly on Easter, for some of the things that we want to do. Uh, I'll talk about love second so I can end on prayer. But uh, love, what we've said is... Uh, well, what I would say is is seek out somebody who you can love throughout this season. And one of the greatest, not one of the greatest gifts, the greatest gift we can offer is the gospel. You know, I would say share with them the gospel, invite them to church. Uh, now, the th I'll talk about prayer. What we've said is pray for the, pray for the grace of God to fall on one family or one person. And I would say, you know, this, someone who is in need. And I would say also, pray that you would be the vessel of that, of that grace. You know, so pray for them to know Christ. Pray for them to know the grace of God. 
And pray also, and I haven't said this before, but pray also that you would be the vessel of that grace. Right? That you could be the one to share with them or care for them. Now, on this prayer thing, if you're doing it, awesome. Okay, praise God. I'm actually, I'm praying for you, and that is kind of what I've committed for Lent. I'm praying for all you guys every day to be able to step into this. Um, now, if you haven't started that, here's what I'll say, and that's fine. You know, if you haven't started, but you you kind of want to step into some kind of prayer challenge for this week, I would say, you know, no, don't worry about it. Uh, you can start today. You can start right now, in fact, because we're going to pray in a little bit. But uh, here's my challenge for you this week if you haven't started. Uh, maybe not about that. If you do want to pray about that, I encourage you to pray about that. But if kind of maybe you haven't really prayed persistently for anything, maybe ever. What I would say is just pray for something personal and specific every day this week. Just the same thing every day this week. For something personal and specific every day. Now, it's often said that God answers prayers in three ways, right? With three answers. Yes, which is obvious. Yes, he answers. No, another obvious one, right? You might ask God for something, and he might say no. Now, that's an answer. And the third answer is wait. I'll say this about those three answers. Yes is often the most satisfying answer we can get from God. We feel like, ah, God answered my prayer. No is often the most sanctifying answer we can get from God. Did you pray for something and God says no and you realize it wasn't good for you? But wait is usually the most revealing answer we can get from God. Because when God says wait, that's not an answer we like. You know, because we'd rather know, yes or no, God, what is it? Yes, I got it. Thank you. And you can just be grateful and move on. No, like, uh, you know, you struggle with it, but then you realize, oh, maybe it wasn't, you know, I see my own. But wait pulls something out of you, right, where you have to look inside. You have to examine yourself and be like, why do I feel like this? Why am I going through this? What is this struggle about? You might even ask, why do I want this so badly? And I would say those are all great at No matter what, which of those answers God gives, it is in the process of us receiving and dealing with that answer with the Holy Spirit inside of us that produces in us this great deep joy where we begin to lean on God more than we do on any answer. And so let's pray together. And, um, you know, I'll actually, why don't we, I'm going to just kind of offer us some time, some time for us to just pray on our own. If we have been kind of already participating in, in, you know, praying throughout Lent, if there's people we're praying for, if there are things we're praying for, I encourage you to take that before God right now.
you know, continue in those prayers. If maybe you haven't and you want to start and you want to just say, you know what, God, like, I want to, I want to try taking a step of faith. I just want to pray for something. You know, I encourage you, make, make use of this time. You know, just talk to God honestly. And you don't got to say, like, special things. There don't have to be any special words. You know, don't use any these or thous. Just, just talk to God. Just don't assume you've communicated what you haven't communicated, right? Just tell God where you're at, how you feel, what you want. And so let's just make use of this time. Uh, Let's just spend some time kind of praying on our own uh, to God. Let's pray.